everybody. We're back. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Uh, this is episode 88 of The Fried Squirms, and I think this is an episode that everyone may have wished for. <laughs> it's definitely one we've talked about more than once, so I figured it was high time <laughs> to get into this film. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and it's presented by a name we've covered several times as well. Which... From what I understand, all he did was the executive producer in Good order to put me. that name up on the top. <laughs> exactly. Get that little cut of the money. Get that check. I'm okay with that. So for episode 88, we are doing 1997's yeah, The Wishmaster. Sure is. God, before we get into it, do you have any new... I don't really have anything, I don't think, from this I've week. I've got a few so. things. I mean, I know Mandy just dropped, but I haven't watched it yet. Haven't seen it either. Just a matter of time. They're actually playing it here in town. I think I mentioned to you earlier this week mm-hmm. for free, so... Not for like another month, though. Yeah, right? we so still like have that. a couple of weeks, yeah. But still, I'm like, I might be able to wait that long. So some of the things I'll have to share this week, some interesting news. Actually, first thing I'll do is wish a happy birthday to an icon in horror, because Cassandra Peterson's birthday is oh, today. fucking Elfira's birthday yeah. today. Yeah. And, man, I'm not going to drop her age, but she still looks good for her age. Mm-hmm. All right, so with that, I can kind of segue into some information regarding some upcoming films. So the first thing I'll share is there's an actor. His name is Javier Petet. He is known for being the creatures in such films as Wreck, Mama, The Conjuring Part 2, and Crimson Peak. And with that, he does have a role in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark that's coming out. Because we mentioned, you know, GDT's on board, Mm -hmm. Andre Overdahl, so some pretty big names, but... For those who are familiar with some of the characters he's brought to the screen in terms of horror, be prepared for him to at least put on a good performance in terms of giving justice to Gamel, was it was one of his illustrations. So they've already talked about the fact that they've got a couple of figures as far as like early drafts. And one of them is going to be featuring the scarecrow from Harold, the story, and the girl with the spiders coming out of her face from the red spot. So expect those to be somewhere in the film. Nice. Yeah, that was kind of neat. So the next one I'll talk about is filming on Zombieland 2 will begin in January, and it's slated for an October release of next year. So that is actually going through. I really enjoyed the first one. Me too, man. I hope this one doesn't suck. It's supposed to be the same cast. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But yeah, right. Like We know how sequels go, but knowing the cast, I'm, I'm hoping for the Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm excited. I'm going to go watch it. They got my money. Yeah. The first one was good enough. I'm Here's my money. That. Because of that, I hope it doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, because we're covering three actors from this particular franchise today. Adam Green, who is the director of the series Hatchet in Victor Crowley, he says that there is a likely return for sequels. So some of the people that were involved in that were Robert England and Tony Todd and Kane Hodder, who plays Victor Crowley. So for fans of that series, be prepared for some more sequels, and that's according to the director. The next one I have is kind of interesting, man. I'm really looking forward to this. But there is a documentary, an upcoming documentary. It's called In Search of Darkness. And what this is, it's supposed to shine the spotlight entirely on 80s horror. So there's a team, lots of people from various sources, magazine writers, YouTubers, bloggers, etc. But this is a little bit of a quote that they had to say about this. So It says, the 1980s exploded onto our screens in a veritable feast of blood, sweat, and chills. Madman killers and evil spirits mingled with aliens, demons, and cursed dolls. Horrific images burnt directly into our retinas and etched permanently into our brains. For the first time in horror history, In Search of Darkness will bring together 80s icons, modern horror greats, 
popular YouTubers and social media influencers to create the most complete retrospective documentary of the genre ever made. Together, they will bring their unique perspectives as we take a nostalgic journey back to revisit the unforgettable heroes, monsters, and movies that thrilled and chilled us. So this is entirely about the 80s horror, which I'm a product of. I'm looking forward to that. No, it should no, be that pretty interesting. Like it should be pretty neat. Yeah, and the last bit of news I have is because we've covered this film, and with that, Killer Clowns, which is taking over Halloween Horror Nights down in Orlando this year, the Chioda Brothers, they are saying that they're getting ready to pump out some future releases involving Ooh. our favorite Killer Clowns from outer space. Oh, oh. Yeah, so because of you know all the hoopla with the stuff going down in Orlando for the Halloween Horror Nights... Talks of television series. I think they're ready, man. I'm down. I want to see more clown-based technology. Yeah, likewise. I mean, that was such a great film. Another iconic 80s horror film for me. Growing you know, up. I, I feel a little bit guilty. I still haven't watched that Blu-ray I picked up. That's right. It's I've just, I've just, I just like take it out and look at the packaging. <laughs> I don't every blame now and you. Then. You're like, mm, not right now. <laughs> it's like, I can't blame you, man. There's a movie I bought recently where I've done the same. It's like, yeah, I'm not ready. <laughs> not ready yet. So yeah, outside of that, man, that's pretty much my news of the week. Yeah, man, I don't really have anything. I'm uh, been a pretty quiet week for the most part. Yeah, it's been pretty quiet. I guess the only thing I can think of is that we have the new, I guess, in-studio prop mascot. Yeah, dude, awesome. We had to do something after watching The Witch and loving it as much as we did. And there's still going to end up being a poster, I'm sure, with Black Phillip oh, in here, too. Time. You're right. It's just a matter of time. But I did in get studio. the Funko Pop. <laughs> <laughs> I did get the Funko Pop of uh, Black Phillip, who's now looking over us, as we're doing our best to live deliciously. I'm always about that. So, uh, Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Black Phillip. We're uh, trying to live deliciously on here. And let's dig into The Wishmaster. Yeah, 1997. Guts and bolts of the Wishmaster getting all up in that fire opal. <laughs> yeah, baby. So what we'd like to do, just like any other episodes, we'll lead off with a brief synopsis of what this film's about. All right, synopsis. I mean, I guess that's kind of a pretty straightforward one. The most part, an, yeah. An evil genie tortures the people in a woman's life in order to get her to ask three wishes for his own nefarious purposes. I mean, I think I'm going to accidentally spoil one of the taglines, but this movie is entirely based around, like, be careful what you wish for. Exactly. And that's not really, I mean, if you know anything about genies, (laughs) you know, come on. Wishmaster. Yeah, this ain't no Robin Williams, though. No, it's not. Not even close. This is more true to heart for what we're talking about here. Although not extremely true to heart. No, not still, extremely, but it's still just like a jerk a lot closer. Genie, <laughs> yeah. A lot closer than Robin Williams. They're closer than Robin Williams. Yeah, so that's Wishmaster. I'm sorry to anyone who clicked on this episode thinking we were going to be talking about the Nightwish album. Yeah, no. Uh, I do love me some Nightwish. I get down to Wishmaster at the gym, nice. often actually. But we're here to talk about the horror movie, guys. Mm, so keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, a nice way to segue into... 
who goes into making the film, we can all go ahead and Jesus. lead off with a huge name in special makeup effects because the director on this is Robert Kurtzman. So Robert Kurtzman, I have a couple of his films that he actually directed down because he's more or less known for his special makeup effects. So some of the films that he has directed are The Demolitionist, The Rage, Buried Alive, Deadly Impact. Now we do have to mention he's also a producer and a writer. And as a part of a trio, I did mention he's a special makeup effects artist, he helped found KNB Effects Studios. That's along with Howard Berger and Gregory Nicotero. So if you've seen any kind of horror film, you've probably seen their handiwork. Yeah, basically we could spend the rest of the podcast listing off things Just this guy's worked on thanks to his extensive work in effects before becoming a director. Exactly. And even as he made the change, like... I think the first thing that he did that wasn't effects work was writing, or at least co-writing, From Dusk Till Dawn. Like, Which is awesome. Yeah, fucking great movie that we're going to get to at some point. But yeah, it's just a matter of time. He's got his hand all over the horror field, whether you it's know it or not. I know that we've mentioned him probably upwards of 20 times on this podcast, <laughs> to be completely <laughs> no, right. honest. Doesn't in matter. 88 episodes or whatever we've done, we've probably had to bring him up in at least a quarter of those. Yeah, so. we've brought him up several times. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, so without going into all Or at credits, least KNB. Precisely. And that's why I'm saying it's like if you've seen a horror film of any sort, especially like the big ones, you've probably seen their handiwork. So, along with Mr. Kurtzman, we do have a writer on this project, and that's Peter Atkins. Now, he is known for helping with the Hellraiser series, and that's starting with Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, which we have covered all the way through the fourth movie. He's also helped write the screenplay for Fist of the North Star, and that's not the animated, that's the live action. He was also responsible for the film Double Vision, The Freak, and Prisoners of the Sun. Our cinematographer on this is Jacques Haitken. He's helped DP for such films as Galaxy of Terror, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the first and the second film. He's also helped with cinematography work on Shocker, Buried Alive 1 and 2, Maniac Cop 3, Scanner Cop and Bloodsport Part Two. <laughs> so I was like, that's pretty cool. I love the first Bloodsport. Oh my god, the first Bloodsport. Yeah, Jean Claude, man, he was good. Brussels right. from Brussels. All right, so our editor on this is David Handman, and he's helped edit such films as Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, Carnival of Souls, which was the remake from I think it was like oh, the nineties. Okay. Yeah, Jason X and Maniacs. Oh, let's not forget that we have talked about Jason X. Go to X the gonna give it to so you. X gonna give it to you. I fucking love that movie. All right, now here's a huge name in music. Oh, oh. We've talked about him several times yeah. as well. But this gentleman is Harry Manfredini, and wow, you talk about credits in horror films. No, this is another person we've mentioned several times as well, so... Anything to do with the Friday the 13th franchise, you've probably heard all of his music. If you've seen such things as House... Which is actually, those are pretty decent films. Like I said, he's another one of those we could go into all day. But primarily his work is known for the Friday the 13th franchise. Okay. So our special effects teams, there's quite a few. I've already mentioned K&B effects. There's several more. You can check it out on the database. The producers on this, we've already mentioned executive producer was Wes Craven, Pierre David, Clark Peterson, Noel A. Zanich. Production companies were Image Organization and Pierre David. Distributors on this were Live Film and Media Works Incorporated. They helped with the 1997 USA theatrical release. And First Independent Films helped with the 97 United Kingdom theatrical release. The release dates on this were September 19, 1997. That was here in the States. 
May 29th, 1998 in the United Kingdom and Ireland. The budget for this film was an estimated $5 million. Opening weekend, it made $6 million. And if you look at the gross numbers, it made right at $15.7 million. I've got a few taglines. You've kind of already mentioned one of them. <laughs> but I've got two that are not the same one. First one I have, bake for your life, pray for your soul, but whatever you do, don't make a wish. Okay. All right, and the last one I have, your next wish could be your last. Okay, yeah. I mean, like you said, I already mentioned the big bad one. Oh, that's yeah. like right on the main poster. Be careful what you wish for. So, and that's basically what this entire movie is predicated on. So that's uh, yeah. probably the best one, but I don't mind those other two. Like if you're going to have to come well, up with anything else, yeah. they, they work. Okay, so with that, that are the people that helped behind the scenes. These are the people that were in front of the camera, and I'll lead off with... I was going to say, so as far we as the cast, first, the, thing, like. the weird thing about this cast is, and we were just talking about it off mic, is that other than like the main two people, yeah, yeah. most of the other people in this movie get between two to ten minutes of screen time. Yeah, tops. Two for most of the cameos, ten for a couple of the like, middle characters, like Nick. Exactly who's not really in this movie much, but yeah. he's in it more than the cameos. Like, I'd say let's lead off with, like, the main two. Okay. We can Let, let's go, that. like, in order of importance, I guess. Okay. That should be pretty easy enough mm-hmm. on this. Okay. So our main actress on this is Tammy Lauren. She does play the character of Alexandra Amberson. Now, you might have seen her in such things as Mork and Mindy. That was from 1979. Uh, the she, pilot of ER. Yeah, I had that written down. <laughs> she was in MacGyver back in 1986. You might have seen her in the television series Dave's World from 94 through 95. She was in the show Mad City. You might have seen her on a couple of seasons of Home Improvement. She did play the character Patty. You might have seen her on the Drew Carey show from 2003. She played the character Lily. You might have also seen her on the show Wanda at Large because that came out in 2003. So she's mostly known for some of her television work. Now our main actor, who's not a cameo in this, is played by Andrew Divoff. And he plays Nathaniel Demerst and the Jinn in this film. So he has two characters he plays. But you might have seen him in such films as The Hunt for Red October, Another 48 Hours, the film Toy Soldiers, which I really like that film. He was also in A Low Down Dirty Shame, another one I really enjoy. He was also in Highlander from 1992 and 1996. That was a television series. A series, yeah. Yeah, you might have seen him in Air Force One. He was also in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And a little bit more recently, you might have seen him in the television series Lost from 2006 through 2010. From what I understand is he speaks like seven or eight different languages. Yeah, he's. I think he speaks like seven... He's forgotten Romanian because he didn't have anyone to speak it with. He's Venezuelan-born, but is of Russian and Irish descent. Yeah, what a mix, eh? Yeah, God, he sounds just like a really fascinating guy. I actually wouldn't mind like checking out more of his filmography after checking out. Yeah, he's a really good actor. He's the best part of this movie. Totally agree, man. His voice is something else too. Mm -hmm. The more I think about it, but yeah, really recognizable character actor. Does a really good job in this film. All right, so those are our two main actors. And he's also in Neon Maniacs, which I thought oh, was really cool. funny because I saw somebody bring that up on Facebook today, like oh. just this morning <laughs> as I was putting on this movie to actually write my notes and stuff. 
and I check my Facebook toward, sort of towards the beginning, and somebody's bringing up fucking Neon Maniacs. And nice. I was like, oh, what the fuck? I'm like, okay. <laughs> what are the odds, right? Yeah. <laughs> nice, dude. All right, so one of the people I do want to lead off with, because we've covered literally all these people, but this one in particular, because you only hear his voice in this film, because he's the narrator at the beginning of the film. But that gentleman is Angus Scrim, a.k.a. the tall man in the Phantasm series. So I was like, yes, hell yeah. It was also in an episode of Masters of Horror, which is really cool, and a film I might recommend later on. <laughs> All right, so the next person I have is Ted Raimi. He plays Ed Finney in this. We've covered Ted because that's Sam Raimi's brother, but he's mostly known as being one of the shimps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not Evil Dead. He was also in Candyman, which we've covered. He does uh, some pretty good work, man. I like him a lot. He's a really good actor. He was also in the Ash vs. Evil Dead television series. Yes, he was. Yeah. Oh, he was great in that. He certainly oh, was, he wasn't was. he? Okay, so in a really big name, and I'm going to start hitting the big ones. We've already mentioned them previously, but first one I'll lead off with is Robert England. Okay, so I was going to say we should probably lead off with him because he's in this movie more than any of the others. He's in this movie to, enough to be considered a real character as opposed to the rest of the cameos. Yeah, exactly. Now, he does have a, a bigger part in this film, but... If you don't know who Robert England is, I will mention he plays the character of Raymond Beaumont. Beaumont is a significant name, which we'll mention later on. So, he was Freddy Krueger, literally in all of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, right? You might have also seen him in Chud Part 2, which we covered the first Chud. Chud. Yeah. He was in the 90s version of Phantom of the Opera, Behind the Mask, which we've covered, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Which we love. Man, that movie's so good. He was also in Masters of Horror, Dance of the Dead, which that's a really good episode. And, I mean, you've also seen him in television series. His voices are given his voice in a lot of video game franchises and likes a television series. So. More recognizable as Freddy Krueger. I love Robert England. I'm glad he's still around, too, man. He's an icon. Okay, so the next big name I guess I can mention is because this person plays Jason. And what did we say? Like four? Four or five out of the... Uh, Oh, yeah. Ten? Um, however many of them. More than most of the other Jasons, right? Yeah, exactly. But this is, is it Kane more Hunter. than any other Jason? I believe so, yeah. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's been in four or five of them. But we're talking about Kane Hodder, and he does play Merritt's bodyguard, I guess, or guard in this film. Yeah, so he's in it very briefly, but more recognizable. Maybe not, <laughs> like, off-screen, but he's more recognizable as his role as Jason. I mentioned he played Victor Crowley in the Hatchet series, and he's been in tons of other horror films as well. He was Jason in Part 7, The New Blood, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, Jason Goes to Hell, and Jason X. He's managed to, like, nail some fucking big names because he was stunts for Leatherface oh, yeah, that's in Massacre 3. And he's Freddy's clawed hand in Final Friday. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, I mean, he's been a, a big figure in horror films. But what I was going to say, too, is he's also made a lot of guest appearances at horror conventions. So it's, you're bound to run into him if you attend those at any point. All right, so the next big name I want to mention is Tony Todd, a.k.a. Candy Candyman. Man. Yeah, dude. He's also in those Hatchet series, which I mm. mentioned earlier. But, yeah, those are actually pretty fun films. But... His character in this film is Johnny Valentine. Do you think they let him choose his own name? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope so, man. It's too good. Yeah, Tony Todd's just like, I'm Johnny Valentine. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Say my name. <laughs> but yeah, I, I recognize him more or less for his role as Candyman, which is really good. Okay, so some of the other names that I do have, 
Another big name for me, because this is a person I grew up watching in a lot of these movies, and I'm talking about Reggie Bannister. Right, I, was, I, I, thought, I figured you'd bring man. up Reggie. I love Reggie. Because he's the pharmacist. Yeah, he's a pharmacist in this film. He has a, it's a couple of decent lines, man. I think it's really important to probably point out Buck Flower yeah, as dude. the homeless man in the same scene. He's mostly known for more on like the production side and behind the scenes side, mm-hmm. but has a ton of acting credits in tiny roles where he almost always plays a homeless guy. Yeah, John Carpenter put him in a cameo in almost every single one of his movies. You've almost assuredly seen him at some point and just not realized it because he's yeah. usually in the movie for about 30 seconds playing a homeless guy. But it's pretty amazing, man, that he's made a career out of just being like a little character in the film, but... It's like in all these major fucking horror films, and you mentioned all those Carpenter films, man. It's well, really and I cool. mean, his main job is he's a writer-producer, AD. Yeah. A fucking production, casting director. Like, there was something that he wrote that I was fucking blown away by. Oh, I remember. This isn't going to be as groundbreaking as everyone thinks it was going to be for me trying to remember it so hard. But he was a co-writer in the early 90s comedy Bikini Car Wash Company. Oh, nice. <laughs> Hell yeah. Which I remember trying to catch on Showtime as a horny teenager. So <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> yeah. Bring him back the good old days, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's pretty cool, though, man. All right, so somebody I do have written down as well is John Biner. He plays the character of Doug Clegg in this film. And the reason I brought him up is because he's been in such things as Transylvania 6, 5,000, 5, as Radu. He was also in... Oh, shit. He's also in a Burt Reynolds and Laurie Anderson film. Unfortunately, Burt Reynolds did pass away over the week, which kind of sucks, man. But the film that John Biner was in is called Stroker Ace from 1983. You might have also heard his voice in The Black Cauldron as Gurgi and Dolly. And he also voiced characters Aardvark and Ant in The Ant and the Aardvark. So this guy's he's been in a couple of decent little films, but he makes a cameo on in this particular film. Two people I do want to mention, which are really cool. We actually covered one of them. One of them is a huge, huge recognizable. Well, <laughs> that's kind of a pun. All right, so the first person I'll mention is Vern Troyer. He's in this film all of like, what, five, ten seconds? Yep, about that. He's credited as Creature, stage number one. Uh, Vern Troyer, better known as Mini-Me, mm-hmm. from Austin Powers. So <laughs> I think of him because he was on that reality show a little bit. Um, <laughs> Have you ever saw that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, my God. Surreal Life. Yeah. I, Fucking love Surreal Life. Pissing in the corner. Yep. <laughs> Butt naked. <laughs> that was a season with uh, oh, China, right? Yeah, yeah. That mm-hmm. was a fucking crazy one i didn't watch very many of those but that was definitely one i, I watched. watched most of the seasons of the surreal life some were better than others that was one of the better seasons that was a good one but yeah unfortunately he's another one of those actors who has passed away recently now the next person i have is walter phelan he plays creature stage number two why did i bring him up well you might recognize him perhaps because he is dr satan <laughs> Yeah. No fucking shit. We have Dr. Satan in this film. So, which creature would that be? Creature sta- I don't know. It's probably one of those statue figures, perhaps. Oh. Or it could just be, like, one of the... Like I don't know, the one of the monsters. Or yeah. Yeah. They didn't really specify, but that's his... 
Oh, his that's handle. Dope, though. But yeah, I looked up his film credits because it, it stood out. I was like, I wonder why they got him his actual picture. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Dr. Satan. Dr. Satan. Fuck yeah. He was also in the Masters of Horror episode, The Fair-Haired Child, which is not bad. Lori Petty's in it. Well, look, we were just talking about fucking reality TV with Surreal Life. One of the actresses in this, I would have never recognized back when I first saw this movie in 90... I probably saw it in like 98, 99. Yeah, that's about where I saw it. But Gretchen Palmer yeah. is in this as Ariella. I can't name a single fucking movie she's done other than this one. But what I can tell you is that she played the bitch character in one of the seasons of the Joe Schmo show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw that she was on that. She was Ambrosia, the bitch. <laughs> that's funny. That must have been in season three... Nice, dude. I do have a few of her credits. No, I might be wrong on that, but I feel like that was season three. I don't know. I'm mixing my Joe Schmo together. But That's okay. That's I a pretty decent show. I love the Joe Schmo show. Yeah, it was, man. She did a couple of like bit parts and such things as 21 Jump Street from 1987. I think she was like an, an episode or two of that. She was also in When Harry Met Sally, for those who are familiar. She was on an episode or two, I think, of Martin television series oh shit Martin she was in i got the hookup yeah yeah I mean, that was like her biggest credit and she was also on the television series the parkers but yeah i mean as far as television the joe Schmo show and the parkers that's probably what she's more well known for and i got the hookup hollow all right a couple of the other cameos i have in this howard Berger, who i mentioned was a part of that B fx team he does play party guard number one in this he like a cameo i Tom's mean kurtzman's in this yeah kurtzman's in this as uh, piano guy yeah <laughs> savini's in the scene with the pharmacist yeah pharmacy customer most of the crew shows up in one of the two party scenes exactly but you're right i mean most of the biggest names in this just briefly show which is kind of cool though still mm-hmm. when you think about it so i guess i can kind of revert back to some of the people that i do have in the film we did mention there's an actor who plays the character nick merritt this actor is chris lemon maybe better known as the son of jack lemon. yeah and if you don't know who Jack Lemon is, think of Walter Matthau and the Uck Couple. <laughs> it's so good. Even the those and grumpy old men. Yeah, those were movies were fucking funny. My grandpa loved those movies. They I were saw them so quite a bit when good. I was little. But yeah, you're right. This is Jack Lemon's son. Chris has been in such films as Airport '77. He was in Just Before Dawn, Cannonball Run Two, Firehead, and Best of the Best Part Four. And he's also known for doing. A shit ton of television series. I didn't write them all down because you can check them out. <laughs> He's been in television. All right, the next actress I have is Wendy Benson. She's known as Wendy Benson Lands now, but she plays Shannon Amberson, which is the sister of Tammy Lauren's character. But she's been in such things as Beverly Hills 90210 from 1993. That's a television series. California Dreams. <laughs> I was like, I probably shouldn't write it down, but I did because I used to watch that show back in the day. It's kind of like a Saved by the Bell spinoff. That's kind of what that show was. But she was also in the X Files from 1996. She was in the film Still Breathing. She was on the television show Unhappily Ever After from 97 through 99, and she was also in the film Burlesque and the television show Ugly Betty from 2007 and 8. The next person I have is Tony Crane. He plays Josh Aikman in this. He's been in such films as The War of the Roses. He was in the television show. Jag in 1999. He was in Judging Amy in 2002. He was also part of the Chicago Police Department television series from 2017. I have Jenny O'Hara. She does a really good job in this film, but she plays Wendy Durleth. 
She's been in such films as Career Opportunities. Man. Oh, yeah. She was probably the second best part of this film, actually. I agree. She did. She killed her part, man. That movie, Career Opportunities, there's a reason I watch that movie a lot. Because of Jennifer Connelly. But anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> she was also in films such as Mystic River. You might have seen her in Matchstick Men. I believe she was on a few episodes of Six Feet Under from 2005. You might have recognized her because she was a big part of the King of Queens television series from 2001 through 2007. She was more recently in the films Devil. She was in a Transparent television series from 2015 through 2017 with Jeffrey Tambor. One of the last people I have, but not the... Well, not necessarily last. I got one more person. But this is Rico Ross. He plays Lieutenant Nathanson in this. You might have seen him in Death Wish Part 3. He was in Aliens as Private Frost. You might have seen him in Doctor Who, which he was on a few episodes of that from 1988 through 1989. He was also in the film Hackers. You might have seen him in Mission Impossible. And he was also in ER back in 2006. Now, the last person I have, except definitely not the least, I do have a gentleman. His name is Joseph Pilato in this. He plays the character of Mickey Torelli. You might have seen him in such films as Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. He was also in Knight Riders. And you might have recognized him in Pulp Fiction because he plays the character of Dean Martin in that film. Oh. Yeah. So that kind of rounds out the cast and crew. We gave you a synopsis. We should give you some warnings. This is actually a pretty gory movie. Really is. Special effects in this is good. I'd completely forgotten about that when we decided to do this movie. There's some foul language <laughs> that I really like. Mm-hmm. Not too much otherwise, though, is there, really? No, not that I can think of. I mean, just kind of your typical 90s horror with a lot of gore. More emphasis on that side. Yeah, more emphasis on the gore side. A little kind bit of, of... I mean, there's violence, of course. Yeah. But not mm. really, like, heavily sexual tones or anything like that. No. no sexual themes, really. Not um, unless you, can, you know, consider peck kisses or <laughs> pop kisses. <laughs> I guess I would liken it kind of to... Well, you mentioned the writer. I would kind of liken this kind of to Hellraiser with a little bit less sex and a little bit more gore. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But a little bit less terrifying overall, too. It's a little bit more benign. Yeah, I won't say it's, at, you're right, as atmospheric as mm-hmm. those Hellraiser movies, but yeah. I think that's the best way I can sum that up. For me, I felt like it was just kind of right down the middle. Like, it's got a really good place in terms of the gore and the story. It's got a good balance. It's not one that goes too overboard. I think it's, yeah. it's kind of right in the pocket, so to speak. Whatever. Go watch it. Yeah, fucking make your own decision, come back, we're going to tell you, you know, how it made us squeal. Yeah, what kind of spoilers? God, what's happening to me? God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what, what's going on? Oh Jesus, come on. Oh my God, what's, what's going on? Where, where am I? Oh gee, why, why? Come on, somebody, somebody. Ah, come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody. Sir, come on, somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's gotta be there. I will shock you. Come on, sir. Come on, sir. You must listen to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? Alright, we're back. Talk about how Wishmaster made us squeal. Yeah, baby, how it rubbed us the right way. But first, before we get into that, just because we were just mentioning Jeff off mic, yeah, we've mentioned in the past that we reserve the right to do movies more than one time, and I have a feeling we're going to get back to Ichi at some point, 
because with the short amount of time we had with Jeff, there's still some things we didn't talk about in that movie. Yeah, there's quite a few things that we I think talk about. make that movie even more interesting to think about, like how he worked in the themes of violence and stuff. Yeah. I mean, sure, obviously, yeah. it's a super violent movie, but there's actual theming to go with the violence and stuff. Exactly. And, and content and ideas that Miike was intentionally trying to get across. And I think the movie did a really good job, but we didn't get a chance to talk about that. So we are going to get back to it at some point. Yeah, we'll do a, a revisited mm-hmm. version of that. But yeah, that's Maybe with fun. Jeff, maybe not. We'll Perhaps. see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. We just promise it'll be entertaining, whatever we do, because we're not going to just do like some stupid shit. If we're going to revisit a movie. Yeah, I agree. Especially one of Mikkei's caliber. Well, for this one, man, because we're talking about Wishmaster from 1997, maybe we can give some people some insight of when we first saw this film. Yeah, so I was trying to think of that earlier this week when we decided on doing this movie. And this is one of those movies where I know the rough time period of when I last saw it. High school. Yeah. When my mom was working at the convenience store that I've talked about before. This was another movie that I picked up for free one day. Oh, yeah. Went home and watched it and haven't thought about it since. I wouldn't have seen it right when it first came out. So it would have been sometime between like 1999 and like 2003. It was the absolute latest I might have seen this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking when this film first came out, I was 15 going on 16. And I think I caught to see it probably in like either the fall of 97 or early 98 somewhere around there so it's probably like 16 17 years old when i seen it and that's probably the last time i've seen it to be honest and that's going on 20 years <laughs> i'm like damn it's been a hot minute yeah i know and i was thinking i'm like before i put it on the first time which if you haven't seen it yet it is streaming on stars right now that's yeah. what i watched it on likewise so. big shout out yeah hook us up stars us. <laughs> <laughs> i was like what do i remember of this movie and I remembered the creature design for the Wishmaster mostly. Yeah, for sure. Because I always have kind of liked that creature design. And part of the reason why I like the creeper design is because I feel like it's really reminiscent of Wishmaster. It certainly does. It certainly does look a lot like it. But that's a whole other movie and topic to talk <laughs> yeah, about. It is. And Salva Ooh. and all of that. So <laughs> thank you, Kurtzman, for not touching young boys. <laughs> no kidding, right? <laughs> I didn't really remember too much else of this movie. There, God, there was something else, but I just smoked that away. <laughs> <laughs> so what we there, did. there was one other very tiny thing that I did remember about this movie, but it wasn't anything monumental. Like, I realized going into this that I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I know I saw this, but I was this might as boat. well be brand new right now. Yeah. I think that's kind of the fun of it, too, is films that we haven't seen in so long. You're right. They do feel kind of brand new in a sense, even though we kind of get an idea of what the gist of what the film's about. And that's the thing, too. Like, even when I did see it, I would have watched it at most twice before this, and it would have been over the span of the same day. Yeah. I would have watched it twice in one day, possibly. one of those weekend movies I probably, yeah, yeah, seen two or three times, then returned it, and that was the last time I'd seen it. So I was very excited to see how awesome the gore was in this movie no kidding i was like that right off the bat away. Too. yeah right off the fucking bat the goddamn the skeleton ripping its that way out of the skin that was good uh just catapulted way up high on my list of like some of my favorite gore effects in movies ever some of it did feel to me you know re-watching this film it felt a little like oh i feel right at home because this almost feels like an evil dead style mm-hmm. kind of effects you know 
I guess first I'm going to just generalize. I'd usually save this sort of statement a little bit more for the end of things, but I kind of want to get it out on Front Street about this movie. The way I would end up summing up my experience with this movie the past couple days, though, is that it's not that great of a movie, but I do think, especially if you're already a horror fan, it might be almost the perfect movie just to put on in the background while you're doing something else. Yeah. You don't have to pay attention to much of this movie. You honestly don't. You, all you really have to do is listen for Manfredini's score, and whenever he tightens <laughs> up those strings and starts doing some of those really racing, nervous-feeling yeah, exactly. fucking... little dissonance. You know, high-tension music, then just look up from whatever you're watching, or from whatever you're working on, and, like, you're going to see some really good some gore effects. Yeah. Also, if you're paying enough attention that you can just rip yourself away from whatever you're doing whenever Divoff is on screen as Demarest. Yes. Fucking fantastic. This movie alone, the way he pulls off that character, he absolutely deserves to be mentioned amongst, like, Freddy. Yeah. And, like, Chucky. I wouldn't necessarily say amongst, like, Mike Myers and Jason, because they're a little bit different. No, totally. But, like, these almost little bit... Little snarky. Little snarky. Not quite cracking jokes, exactly. but definitely not not cracking jokes. It is a little bit more uh, deadpan, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to where Freddy, you know, we know how we can get. And, of course, Chucky gets a little crude, <laughs> you know, with his shit. But this is kind of a nice, almost dry approach to that, you know? Utterly menacing, yeah. but... Just so almost reasonable. chewing up scenery with his expressions alone. It's rather amazing. I fucking love his performance in this movie. You're right. I think you made a good point during the credits is that he and O'Hara in this film, those were the two standouts for me. Like, she fucking did such a good job in this film. Oh, yeah. She was great. Gosh, fucking. Man. I wasn't anticipating that. And Tammy Lauren doesn't do a bad job. No, she's not bad, but she, yeah, you know. But... One of the great things about Jenny O'Hara in this movie is that she elevates Tammy's performance whenever they're doing a scene together. You're right. It does elevate her. They have an amazing repartee between them. And it felt really natural and really fun. And like they both sort of like respected each other's strength and how they got into the positions that they're in and stuff. You're right. They didn't try to outdo each other. That was a pretty strong moment. Yeah, their exchange in the film was really good. Yeah, Even... just about all their exchange. Even at the end <laughs> when it's say, There's a turn. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the gin. I kind of like saying Demarest more. But... Demarest. Yeah, that's good. And with the idea of the gin and Demarest and how good Divoff did, it makes me really sad that... I mean, maybe there's a reason it didn't get made, but he wrote a script for a third Wishmaster. Did you read that? Yeah. And when they didn't option his script, that's when he left the franchise. I mean, I can't blame him. <laughs> but he seemed to actually have, like, a real passion for the character. And yeah. that's part of the reason why he was, like, left. And I don't know. With everybody rebooting <laughs> shit these days. There's a strong chance. Give me. Yeah. There's no reason Divoff couldn't come back as the gym. Right? I would totally be up for that. If he was up for it, I'm up for it. I'm up for it regardless, though. Yeah. I'm not going to be the one to do it. Me <laughs> <laughs> right. either, but, but some like super wish ma- There's got to be a super Wishmaster fan out there, right? Like, oh, yeah, every movie sure, is man. somebody's favorite movie. I was looking at, you know, trying to see if I could find a copy of this film, and then I was like, oh well, you know what? Vestron put out like the collection one through four. So yeah, this is a cult classic for sure. 
Yeah. Oh, well, okay. And let's get into some of the cultina stuff and some of the fun things. We spent a long time having to name off all the different cameos in this movie. And I do say that this is one of the few movies, because I kind of, I pack my viewing for doing this podcast into kind of a tight time period. I same, yeah. I might as well be watching the movie twice back to back. Like, there's some time in between there, but there's not a lot of time with the time that I technically have to yeah. get ready over yeah. the course of the week. And so most of the movies, even the ones that I really like, watching them back to back twice can sometimes be a little taxing. No, I, I know what you mean. This movie, I think I might have enjoyed it more the second viewing. Yeah? Nice. The first time around, I felt a little annoyed with the movie with how much it's wanted to remind me of other better movies. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I think we can both start naming <laughs> off moments that completely are just ripoffs of other movies. Oh my gosh. From the get-go. <laughs> yeah. But the second time around, it, it felt more like they were just reveling in it. Like they had the chance to do this with all these people, so yeah, why, like, why the fuck why not? The and fuck I, not? I don't know, maybe I felt it more from like just like a fanboy perspective of being able to see all these people in the same movie yeah, yeah. and just trying to like imagine what it could have been like to just be on that set with like oh, this. Man. Why isn't this movie billed as like an ensemble movie? I mean, we pointed out that most of them are in it for very little time. Right, yeah. But just, it's all memorable moments. You're absolutely right. I know this film was shot in like 30 odd days. Mm -hmm. So I know there wasn't much time to actually shoot the film. Had a really quick like from start to finish it was like six months but you're right i think man can you imagine if this film was stretched out like i said over say three months and what it could have been for me it doesn't take anything away from the film but it, you're right i mean it's such a strong ensemble cast it could have been a really kick-ass film like beyond what it is right now okay so it does reference a shit ton of things from the get-go let me think it made me think oh why isn't this alien <laughs> <laughs> yeah what other fun things did we have? We had the Pazuzu statue. Yeah. I mean, if you're not familiar with Pazuzu and the Exorcist, go, go watch that fucking film come back. Oh, I thought you were going to say go fuck yourself. <laughs> if you're not familiar with the Exorcist, go, go fuck, fuck yourself. <laughs> no, no, you don't have to do that. But check the film out because then you'll understand why the statue is in this film. Let me see. The priest, when he's sealing the gin away, uh, he's saying something about Nib Shigurath. Oh, yeah. We and were I'm like, about that. you motherfuckers, I know exactly what you're doing with that. And I'm like, Nib Shigurath is just a spoonerism of Shub Nagurath. Yeah. The black goat in the woods with a thousand young from the Cthulhu mythos. Which, you know, I thought was really cool, too, because just recently we've kind of delved into some H.P. Lovecraft, you know, and it was like, it's kind of another way to harken back to that. Well, and then intentionally, most of the character surnames relate back to horror authors. Yep. Especially more like classic, like a lot of them I haven't actually read. But I absolutely noticed when, was it Jenny O'Hara that was Wendy Durleth? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, Durleth, that's funny, since <laughs> that they were just saying Shub Nagurath or Nib Shigurath. And I'm like, well, August Durleth kept the Cthulhu mythos alive. <laughs> exactly. And then you had like what Professor Lieber was mentioned, which would obviously be Fritz Lieber. Fritz Lieber, right. And for the other ones I did write down, like the character Finney and Beaumont and Merritt, they all relate back to Jack Finney, Charles Beaumont, and Abraham Merritt. So you mentioned, you know, if you're familiar with 20th century sci-fi and horror, there's some big names in that field. I've said this already, but we mentioned all the cameos. It had me thinking, though, 
a lot of the times when we see these very recognizable like guest acting cameos, especially as victims in movies, it's usually the newer movie saying <laughs> like, move out of the way. We're the new kids on the block, right? Yeah, exactly. And we've seen that. We've pointed it out in some other movies where they'll throw like the poster in the background to be like, your shit's fake, but this is the real <laughs> horror. You know what I yeah. mean? So really? I'm wondering, did this movie curse itself to not become a bigger franchise through the ending of undoing their protagonist killing all the horror icons yeah that's a good point because now they're all still alive that's thanks to the ending of this movie it's a fact last wish nothing happened you're right she wished that dude was never drunk on that day you're right and it undone everything that happened in the film so in a meta way even though they spent the entire movie saying, get out of the way, aliens. We see your chest burster and even more shit's going on. Get out of the way, Pazuzu. We'll use your powers and make you fucking do things that our gin wants you to do. But then at the end, they just undo it all. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of fun, I guess, in that regard. It's a way where you can be playful. And you're like, we didn't really mean it. <laughs> you know I mean? We're kidding. We're going to fade to the background. Oh, we're kidding. <laughs> we're just a fun film, man. And thinking about that and just when it came out in the time period and stuff, thinking yeah. back, one thing I do really respect this movie for, even if I still don't think it's that interesting <laughs> of a movie. <laughs> right, right. God, I was zoned out so hard during this movie, dude. I was, like, I just, I, I got to put it out there. Movie. Like, I was on my phone just constantly, and I still feel like I really didn't miss anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I got a confession about that. So taking my notes, man... It's because this film is super simple in the story. It's easy to follow, even if you're not following it. It's like, I already know what's going to happen. I already know what's going on. I was more interested in the history of the actual, like, what the djinn was and with Uhura Mazda and Zoroastrianism and stuff. So I was like, I was more concerned about taking notes on that shit, <laughs> to be honest, quite frank. Oh, the thing that I respect it for, though, even though not the best movie we've done. No, but it's still fun. Coming out in 1997, a year after Scream, just blew horror up in a big, poking, fun-at-itself meta way. They come out with a taking-itself, <laughs> absolutely goddamn seriously, creature movie with a dude in a fucking... <laughs> I like the creature design, but if you just put him in like normal lighting and just put him in the room, it looks kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And kind of like how yeah. like he has some floppy black dildos coming out of his head. I mean, you know, that's scary for some people, <laughs> I suppose. But yeah, I know what you mean. He was supposed to be a lot more menacing and dark and, you know. But I mean, it takes itself completely seriously and I respect it for doing that. Right. With such a goofy concept of a fucking evil <laughs> genie movie. Yeah. A year after Scream was like, look how goofy horror movies are. Yeah, that is kind of funny when you think about that in hindsight. And it makes you wonder too, like, were they aware of that at the time of filming? Perhaps? Maybe? I don't know. I would think somewhat, maybe. <laughs> but what I got out of this film, what I thought was kind of neat, we already alluded to this, was how they did try to stick to some of the storyline of what a djinn is. I thought that the beginning was really neat, especially yeah. with like the mentioning of them being beings of fire, whereas yeah. men were beings of the earth. And I, that's some of the stuff that I did remember from the folklore of djinn. And... Exactly. So, I mean, it goes all the way back to pre-Islamic times and mostly like in and around parts of Iran, Syria, you know, if you're familiar with the Middle East in general. But I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool, man. So, you know, when you look back on it, it started off with mostly like Arabic folklore, 
And when Islam took over that region, and they were kind of wiping away the pagan religions and all that stuff, they still kept some of the aspects of that, and they incorporated the jinn into the Quran. And that was kind of neat, because then you got, a, got more of a story, more of like a hierarchy of what these really were. And it was kind of neat how the film was incorporating that element of right the jinn are this creation by God, and they exist in a different universe altogether, but given the circumstances, the right circumstances, they can introduce themselves into our world. And yeah, I, I really like that, man. I'm, I like history a lot, so I thought it was really cool. If I remember correctly, jinn from mythology, though, aren't all jerk asses. No, no. They're right. just as varied as humans. Some are shitty, but some are good. Exactly. Yeah, you have the benevolent ones, and you have malevolent ones, and you have some that don't really give a fuck either mm-hmm. way. Yeah, and that's kind of neat, too. And that lends its hand a little bit more to, like, the Islamic variations of it, and then, of course, the modernization of it. But I was looking up some of that stuff, and this is funny <laughs> because I dated an Arabic girl at one time, mm-hmm. and she used to call me Majnoon a lot. And I, I kind of knew what she meant by that. But then I looked it up. I was like, oh, there's, this actually is a derivative of the word jinn because mejnoon means insane or crazy. And mm. she used to call me that a lot. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> so I was getting a little bit of a history lesson and a linguistics <laughs> lesson as well. How far did you get into American Gods? Did you watch that first season? No, you know what? I think I watched the first two episodes. And okay, then I just so... like... I totally forgot about it for whatever reasons. See, I couldn't remember how much I could really reference or not yeah. that you would actually understand, but I think it's episode three that a djinn shows up. Nice. In, which got me to wondering for anyone else out there that's seen American Gods, if uh, Andrew Divoff's djinn just loves glowing penetrative gay sex. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and if he can turn people into gins by fucking barebacking them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Made me want to watch this again. <laughs> Dude, That's you got to finish some American Gods, I'll tell you You know, why. that might be another show I can kind of jump in on because I don't, I'm not really watching any shows right now. Plus, the gin is dope. Like, it's yeah. just a really cool scene. It's like a little neat little side story. Anyway. Nice. One thing I thought was really cool about this film, too, aside from, you know, the fact that the djinn, genie, is the main character in this, was the fact that it was found in the statue of Ahura Mazda. And I was like, ooh, I know a little bit about that. Because mm-hmm. at one time, now, no scholar, mm-hmm. but I do like to read on, like I said, history, religion, all that good stuff. So there was a time where I read a little bit about Zoroastrianism and you know, it's, it's founder, Zarathustra, or Zoroaster. <laughs> but I thought it was really cool. I was like, I understand why they used the element of fire in this. I understand why they were using the jewel to entrap the djinn. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. And that was really cool. It's like, they kind of, for the nerd and people, like, it makes me want to research that stuff. And if I remember my exorcist mythos geography correctly, the Pazuzu statue being there as part of his collection is actually kind of accurate. Yeah, it would be <laughs> highly accurate. And that's why I said they did a really good job of incorporating the elements of folklore and history into and this film. just being horror nerds. Yeah, exactly. So you get a little bit of all of that stuff. And the nerd of me was like, ooh, I like this kind of shit. So probably one of the biggest easy criticisms of this movie would be the djinn is just constantly fucking himself up by making his wishes too extreme so that (laughs) nobody can get to that third wish for most of the movie to begin with. Yeah. 
it's really just like it seems like he's like self-sabotaging most of the movie to be completely if you're looking at he's kind of being like trying to get done yeah it has me wondering when i was going through and taking notes he's shown throughout the movie granting wishes to people and we know we're told at the beginning that he needs to you know get somebody to ask three wishes so that he can open up the fucking thing and let yeah, all the, the other gins in whatever you yeah. da 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 but they'd never go very much more specific past that but tammy gives a little bit of a hint later after she's been doing a lot of reading Research, yeah. and mentions about the gem being charged and it runs off souls so the entire time because she was the one that released him did it have to be her three wishes and the other wishes were only about souls? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. That's the way I'm reading it. Yeah. No, I mean, that's... After going exactly. through it a second time, because the first time, it can just seem like he's getting in his own way. Yeah, exactly. But no, you're right. Since he's out, he's just collecting souls to charge, I guess, whenever he charges the gem and all that I stuff. I think one of the sequels talks about that a little bit more. Yeah. I've never seen any of the sequels, but I did do about two paragraphs <laughs> worth of reading while yeah. doing research for this one. I think one of them mentions about like, because I think the gin in three and four is different than the gin from one and two. Yeah. I know and it's not, played by And not just too, because yeah. Divoff left. Like, yeah, I think it's I supposed to be a different gin. And cool. I think it makes it more apparent that like the gem needs like a thousand souls first. Gotcha. And I can and, understand that. That would make a lot more sense why he's doing what, or what it's doing, what it's doing. And goes more into like they're in an eternal fight against the angels which divoff does hint at with some of his dialogue but yeah but not overtly like if you really want to look into it from a religious view of it from what i understand it is that jinn like angels and demons are jinn but not all jinn are angels or demons Mm -hmm. and according to like islam in the quran is that at one point supposed to be satan lucifer is that at one time it was doing good deeds until Adam was created and would not bow down to Adam like as their superior. So that's what caused like this hoarding of angels and souls and yada yada. So I mean it kind of does tie into that mythology a little bit, but how much you want to read into it is another thing. So after the djinn changes from being Jenny O'Hara and they have like the showdown in the room and he's like <laughs> threatening her sister and shit. Yeah. How many system. times do you think they circled that room? <laughs> <laughs> There's, oh yeah, that's funny. Yeah, probably a lot. You had to make use of this fucking camera. As they're circle pacing around each other for like Jesus. two minutes straight. There are certain shots in edit cuts and stuff like that that you know this is a 90s film. Her like waking up out of her fucking dreams is another of that shit. I was impressed with because of the time period how restrained they were with the use of bad cg there's only a few times it's used in the movie and boy can you tell it mm-hmm. <laughs> kane hodders is fucking bad <laughs> like really bad <laughs> oh, i thought those pazuzu snakes were pretty bad yeah there was a few of those there's like oh mm-hmm. they could have done without but i mean granted the practical like the makeup in this is fucking point on yeah but those few <laughs> cg is like <laughs> they look like shit <laughs> I mean, honestly, this is a super enjoyable... I'd rather watch this movie than Belko again. <laughs> honestly, uh, likewise. I mean, I... I, I might take I might take film. my own advice... I might take my own advice and put this movie on in the background while I'm doing other shit at it's times. Because it's great for that. Yeah. Just 
pay attention to DevOps one-liners. Dude. Basically, I... anytime he delivers a line, I... like his whole fucking, when she wants to understand him and he gives that little speech, so fucking badass. He's good. At... All right. I like him in both. Like as, was it Demarest? Mm-hmm. And as, of course, I prefer Demarest. Yeah. But the gin was good. All right, there's a few things I do want to point out when he's Demarest. And one of the first ones I want to point out, because it's like, man, this is so 90s, what I'm about to say right here. He goes to the mall, and that's where he turns Ariella Mm -hmm. into a mannequin because... Ambrosia the bitch. Yeah. All right, now, do you know what store they were in at the mall? Oh, oh, fuck. I recognized Uh, it. I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, can I get a hint? Can you get a hint? Yes, it's another name for a building... I know that's being like vague, but when you hear the name, you'll know what I say. Ah, uh, shit. Nope, can't think of it. Okay. This was a men's fashion store. It was called Structure. Wow. Late 90s. I worked at a mall back home. <laughs> and on occasion... You're like, I, I worked at Structure. Uh, <laughs> on occasion, I would go I into Structure. I was turned into a mannequin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't tell nobody. But I was like, man, I've, I'm guilty of like going in there and getting shirts and pairs of jeans and stuff. It's like, but that is such a 90s reference right there. I highly doubt people who were born after the turn of the millennium would know what the hell that is. It's fucking funny. All right, so that's one of them. We've already mentioned, I felt like he was taking certain liberties with people's wishes. Like, they weren't necessarily wishes. They were more like hopes. Yeah, I'll agree with that, but I think I liked it. I mean, like I, there's enough in the, wiggle like, room. I noticed that too, and I, I sat there for a little bit thinking <laughs> like, about it. Damn. I'm like, oh, motherfucker, that's, uh, you're allowing for a lot of wiggle room on that. But I'm like, I kind of like it. I kind of like this guy finding this way to just <laughs> I mean, it's to not his technically fault. keep within yeah. the rules. Because you know, he they, they say it from the get-go, that these djinn, they're not us. You know, no, they don't exactly. have a range. These djinn are evil, so... I like the idea that he's good enough <laughs> that he's like, I know every time that I can bend the rules, I'm going to jump on it. Like, All right. <laughs> one of his first, not his very first, but one of his first souls that he claims is from the homeless guy, Buck right. Flower. Right? Yeah. All right. I want to write this down because it's like, this might be the best exchange in the whole film. And so this involves Reggie Bannister as the pharmacist, and it takes place in front of his pharmacy. <laughs> All right, so I know exchange you're getting at now. Yep. Conversation goes like this, and I've got a little bit written down, but it goes like this. So we get in a scene of a homeless guy outside, and it seems like he's begging a lady who's going inside. Reggie Bannister comes outside, and he's like, "Hey, you know, you need to stop harassing my customers." And the guy's like, "Well, you're not doing a good business practice because you left your billing." Anyhow, long story short, it goes into about fucking each other, like "fuck you, no fuck you." He's like, "You don't own this fucking sidewalk, right?" He's like, well, you know what? This is how I have it written down. He says, I do own this fucking sidewalk. You know why? Because I fucking pay taxes. (laughs) And then Bucky Flower, he goes, I hope you die, you sack of shit. I hope you die, and I hope you float down the gutter so I can fucking piss on you. (laughs) And then, you know, like, fuck you, fuck you. And then he's walking away, and he calls him this. This is what Bucky says to Reggie. He goes... You piss-complected afterbirth to a Chinese gangbanger? <laughs> you educated idiot? He's walking around. He's like, holy shit. That's like, Jeez. I did not expect that. And then that's when he runs to the gym, you know, and he's like. I hope he gets cancer and dies. Yeah, and then it's like, oh shit, he did get cancer and died. It was gruesome. It was a pretty mm-hmm. good death. The effects were pretty decent. 
Oh my god! So the, I like that scene a lot. I like. I wish I'd see more of those scenes. One of the gin-induced deaths, or whatever, however you want to say it, <laughs> had me fucking rolling with just how insanely ludicrous it seemed <laughs> when Homeboy wishes for a million dollars. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's just hilarious. It's like, and it suddenly uh, cuts to the fucking that, airport with his fucking mom, his gosh. old ass mom My signing son the goddamn does own flying an insurance policy. And it just blows up. I'm like, God, that was so cheap. I'm like, it, it almost reminded me of like a fucking family guy cutaway. It really is. Very cartoonish. Like, did they just really do that? They did. Like, oh, here's your million dollars. Oh my gosh, man. Like, you know, a million dollars. That was fucking... Br- I Life that insurance was policy. Oh, my God. You know what? Well, it I don't, don't want to spend too long on this. I know I do this for a lot of movies, but I already mentioned once that I would love to consider... It's really cool. I would it could love be revisited. to continue to see Divoff as the djinn. I think there's good ideas here. I think the djinn is a great enemy because yeah. of its limitations. My idea, my kind of hope, I've mentioned the short story before... I think you could do a reboot of Wishmaster with a twist at the end and base it off the Clive Barker story, The Yattering and Jack, which is all about this demon that's tormenting this guy. The demon thinks he's doing it on the down low and he's just like there for years and years and years and like just fucking with this guy's life, just tormenting him, driving off friends and family and like keeping him in the fucking poorhouse and shit and waiting for the dude to give in. And then at the end, you find out that the dude is sort of a magician himself. Oh, nice. And there was a reason that he had a demon stationed to him to try to collect his soul. Mm-hmm. And he's known that the demon was there the entire time. And he waited all of that time in his life for the demon to fuck up <laughs> so that there was a moment that he could... Yeah, got him. Yep. Take control nice. of him and use his power himself. Yeah. I think you could do a Wishmaster story like that. That would be dope. Where it's like, it's somebody where, like when you had Tammy Lauren at the end, where she makes those two wishes, and then you have that third, and he keeps doing the pressuring and stuff. I think you could do like this drawn out story where like, person makes his first wish, and then manages to just keep from it, and does like the second wish like years later, and you get to slowly see the djinn like influencing his life and trying to fucking make him do this. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually he does the second, and so you know, shit suddenly goes really bad, (laughs) there's all the pressure to do the third one, and he somehow forces the djinn to fuck up, and that was the plan the entire time. Got him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Getting back to this film a little bit is one thing I kind of realized like watching it multiple times now is the use of foreshadowing. Like they're using certain elements in this film. The party. The party's a big one. Yeah, huge. The another one is just the whole exchange and the relationship that Tammy has with the dude who winds up getting killed, the guy that likes her, mm. his character, how it, the roles reverse at the end. And, you know, just little things like that. It's like there's a lot of foreshadowing in this film. Oh, the stillness is what I wanted to talk about. The stillness was so obvious that that was going to come back that I was was a little disappointed when it did come back. I thought because of the way that she was explaining it to her girls, she was going to be in a much more dire situation (laughs) than she truly was. Focus. Make that wish. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Because she was kind of just standing there and it was mostly just... (laughs) Stillness. The reality of the situation was, is like, 
even though she saw her sister there burning in the picture, yeah. that doesn't matter unless she makes the right wish anyway. She's not actually under any sort of Duress. danger yeah. or time restraint at that point. And I thought there was going to be some sort of danger physically to her. Yeah. That would make more sense for the way that she described the stillness scene earlier. Yeah, but no. It was just But it still comes back, they tie Yeah, it exactly. Oh. But overall this film has you're right, there are some really good things that they do. The practical effects, point blank, one of the best things about this film. The gore is really good. Really cool seeing all these cameos. If you've never seen this and you like Hellraiser, I would recommend watching yeah, this. Yeah, for sure. I mean you're not gonna get the same like dark brooding kind of you know feeling, but it's still fun. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about the what ifs, it kind of makes me wonder too. Like I know Toby Hooper did a, a gin film. I've never seen it. I'm kind of curious what he did with it. But I wonder if there is, and, and for people who are familiar, let us know because there might be some of those films out there. But, you know, some of this is loosely based upon Arabian Nights, some of their stories about it was like the lost city of brass in Aladdin and things like that, how the word actually genie became to be, which I thought was kind of neat. The singular form of it was like Ginny, mm-hmm. and the plural is Jin. And I was like, wow, that's kind of funny because I know a girl named Ginny who's like super religious. <laughs> but uh, stuff like that. And then there was a Frenchman in the late 1600s, early 1700s, who he had a copy of Arabian Nights, actually translated it, and he almost mistook it. But he thought the word Jin was so close to the word Ginny, or Ginny, Ginny, mm-hmm. that he you know, swap them and it means genius. But in this traditional sense, genius doesn't mean somebody who's like highly, you know, intellectual. Oh, yeah, it's like, uh, keep going. Yeah. And but, I know what you mean. The older form is just like, you're like super good at like one thing, right? You're right. You're absolutely right. Like you're good at this one particular area. But that was kind of neat because what he did is he introduced the whole idea of gins and genies and all that stuff to the Western world, Western Europe, and how it later became genie like we were talking about what robin williams how it came to be a different form what i thought was neat was that it goes back to like king solomon and king solomon man there's some interesting shit like i don't follow religion really heavily fucking kia solomon are you getting there the lesser yeah. kia solomon but the whole demonology I, the whole and... idea was that god gave him a ring that he can control genies with and if you follow the story of aladdin there was a sorcerer, who I'm assuming is probably like the character of Jafar, <laughs> who gave Aladdin a ring so he can go in this magical cave to get a lamp, an oil lamp. And what happens was he gets so scared down in that cave, he gets like to become a warrior wart, that he rubs that ring and out comes a genie. And that genie actually gets the lamp and takes him back to his home. Well, his mother, Aladdin's mother that is, she sees the lamp's dirty. So what does she do? She cleans it, rubs it. Out comes another genie. And Aladdin becomes rich and famous, the sorcerer, because he didn't get the lamp, he becomes pissed and starts to kill people. You know, so this is where some of those ideas come forth, which I thought was Mm kind of neat because we've always seen genies as, you know, I Dream of Genie. Which, Robin, by the way, way I thought really good loved show. me some I Dream of Genie. I used to watch that a lot, I used too. to watch the shit out of some I Dream of Genie on Nick at Night. But you get it more or less kind of like... That and Bewitched, motherfucker. Th- those are great shows, man. <laughs> I think they were back-to-back. Yeah. I'd sit there, I'd, I'd watch them both. We talked about the fact yeah. we grew up on Nick at Night. But just stuff like that. Even the film we talked about, Aladdin and stuff like that. You know, as a kid and how they watered down, like super watered it down to what it actually really meant at one time... <laughs> What I'm, I guess, making this long story short is I'm, I'm wondering if anybody's ever tried to go back to that route, you know, like 
trying to show it. And do in a its, more folklore, mythology-based I think there's a lot of shit movie. you can work with. Yeah, if you go down that mythology and you can incorporate all these tales into it because that's where it originated from in the first place. So if there is, give us those recommendations. But if not, for those who want to go check it out, there's your idea. There's your pitch. You know, there's a lot. You're right. There's a lot of different things you can do with this and revisit it. Yeah, and yeah, it's a fun franchise. I think it has I, potential. It's a great character. Yeah, get Div off back, and you got a fantastic Dude, he's character. So good. Yeah, but you're right. I think overall, it's a fun film. Scores good. Gore's good. Um, it's not necessarily one that's gonna be like in my top twenty list or anything like that. But it's fun to revisit. You're right. It's a good background movie. It's a good one to introduce to friends who you know are kind of maybe in that headspace of have I ever seen Hellraiser? Do I need to see films like this or Candyman, etc. Or if somebody very specifically is asking for mid late nineties horror yeah, movie, totally. This I mean, is a great mid late nineties post scream. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that still goes back to like the early nineties, late eighties mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I'm glad we revisited. I know it's one you and I've talked about several times, and it was fun. I had a good time watching it. Yeah, me too. We haven't decided what we're doing next week. No, we haven't, and that's gonna make it fun again. Yeah. So we're gonna go figure that out. Until then, you can find us wherever you find your podcast. I mean, obviously, you're already listening to us if you got to this point, <laughs> but seriously, we should be on everything. If we're not on something, hit us up on our website, friedsquirms.com. There's a contact form there that works. You can always email us, squirmcast at gmail.com. We always have the latest episodes streaming at the bottom of that page. Links to like the Instagram, the fucking Facebook, the Twitter, all in the middle there. All like good shit. Fried Squirms at Fried Squirms, Fried Squirms Podcast. You can find us. Fried Squirms out. on Facebook. Yeah. You look for Fried Squirms, you'll find us. It should be that simple. <laughs> I don't think so at this point. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, if you would, you know, like rate, rate us, let us know what you us, think. That'd be awesome. Yeah. It's weird how much that shit actually helps out. So It really does. I'm Tyler. Yeah, I'm Danny. Fried Squirms out. out. <laughs>